Okay, hello, and welcome to the latest episode of Innovations in Education, eSchool News' podcast on the latest and greatest happenings in K-12 EdTech this week. I'm Kevin Hogan, and I'm glad you found us. This week, we look at some interesting pieces of content posted to eSchoolNews.com that focus on data and how it can enable a district to run more efficiently in ways you probably already expect, say, automating staff expense reports, for example, but maybe some other ways that at first may seem like intangibles, say, student well-being and mental health. So let's get started. First off, a reminder that there's about one week left, the deadline is September 15th, to enter your school or district in the 2022 eSchool News Hero Awards. You know, this great education beta test brought on by the pandemic has resulted in discoveries and innovations across education, from distance learning and closing the digital divide to addressing the need for diversity, equity, and inclusion in schools, and and so much more. I'd like to encourage everyone to participate in this year's contest so your real-life challenges and successes can be celebrated and shared with the education community. So as the nominees roll in, I had a chance to chat with one, Corey Matsumiya. He is the assistant controller at the Kamehameha School. Yes, I pronounced that correctly. In Hawaii. Also on the call was Jim McClurkin. He's the senior director of state and local government at SAP Concur. And we talked about their efforts towards automation that led to Corey's school being nominated this year. Have a listen. Corey, you know, six years in now, you're a pretty advanced user, a pretty, pretty savvy implementator of this. What advice would you give to other districts that maybe are just kind of getting started looking to automate or they're looking to automate or to upgrade maybe from something that might be a little bit more prehistoric? Uh, I would say definitely it's um, change management is the key uh, to success and it's introducing people to the technology, explaining why they need it, how this is going to help them. I think one of the the greatest attributes that we got from SAP Concur was just the mobile platform. One of the, the greatest things that, that people enjoy about it is being able to use their cell phone, um, not only to take pictures of the receipts, submit the reports, but from an approver standpoint, they're not locked to the computer. So they can do expense approval from anywhere they are, even sitting in the airport. But those types of, um, I, I call it sales pitches, really helped us in selling our user base um, as to why they needed Concur and why they needed to uh, really educate themselves on how to use it to make their lives better. Yeah, and Jim, uh, talk a little bit about how, you know, when you have a customer that's been using the technology for this long, I mean, has has your company adjusted as a vendor to some of the experiences that they've had? I mean, have you taken some of their innovations and, and spread it across to other districts? Yeah, we're always we're always looking for how people are utilizing the platform. Because regardless of how smart you think you are, the people who are using it day-to-day for their own, their own business uses, like Corey and the district, are doing things you go, well, oh, I thought of that. You know, really good way to, to, to do that, right? So um, we do do that. And, and we have a team, you know, in the life cycle of a Concur customer that will call up and do business reviews with you to optimize what you're doing, particularly for people who have been using it for a long time, like Corey and any number of, you know, the 50,000 clients we have out there in the world, we always have new modules coming in, right? 
we're, we're not trying to build the best of breed of everything, you know, but we do like we recently have a new one that just came in for sustainability, for example. I was just on a call this morning where they laid out this whole sustainability. So you overlay this onto your concurrent instance and it tells you how to keep your carbon footprint lower. Well, you, if you went, if you took the train in New Jersey to Washington, instead of going to Newark and flying, you could lower your carbon footprint by X, you know? So we're constantly bringing new modules to the platform, whether it be for tax, uh, what we call, uh, you know, remediating taxes that have been paid that shouldn't have been, whether sustainability, whether it's, um, you know, an audit tool that will audit everything, you know? So we're constantly bringing things to the, to the, to the table to say, Hey, I know you've been here for six, seven years. Look at this shiny new toy. This will really help you here. And, and there are, there are whole teams of people that that's all they do are the business reviews to work and help our clients optimize what they're doing at all times. Be sure to get more details on how to enter the awards up on the Hero Awards tab at eSchool News homepage. Next, a recent report authored by Julia Fisher. She's the Director of Education Research at the Clayton Christensen Institute, and it's called Students' Hidden Networks, Relationship Mapping as a Strategy to Build Asset-Based Pathways. Uh, This report offers an in-depth look on how to help students begin relationship mapping. A simple and powerful strategy, they write, to make the invisible visible to students and institutions alike. So what exactly does that mean? Good question. A number of future thinking groups are focused on equitably building student social capital and connections. These are things that we hear about all the time in corporate America, but not necessarily in K-12. But So as they continue their work, There are strategies and best practices that have emerged for teachers and school leaders to help kids develop their own networking strategies. Schools can better understand the relationships that students have outside of school, that unbounded network of the greater community, using this strategy called relationship mapping. It helps students and schools visualize, reflect upon, and keep track of the people that they know. The article posts five pointers to help teachers figure out the whole relationship mapping thing. I'll share with you three of them. Number one, if you're trying to increase the likelihood that students mobilize their networks, attach the mapping to personal goals and real world stakes. Building a network doesn't just have to be about students meeting new people. It can be about students having new types of conversations with people they already know. Number two, If you're trying to increase students' sense of belonging and access to support, find out who students already trust. Particularly in light of the pandemic, they write, schools are focused on belonging and support as crucial ingredients to helping students thrive. Instead of assigning support, relationship mapping offers the opportunity to first ask students whom they already feel they can trust or depend upon. And then number three, If you're trying to expand a student's professional network, start with the employers the students and families already know. Schools and career centers often look for ways to expand student professional networks by inviting guest speakers, mentors, and alumni to meet students. While those new connections can be helpful, this approach tends to ignore the professional networks 
that may already surround students. You really need to dive in deeper to the piece and then the report to get the full effect of what really does seem to be a pretty powerful strategy for educators. I, I really encourage you. And finally, Amy Jeffs, she's the president of Status Solutions, writes about how educators and stakeholders continue to fight back against poor mental health. Her piece is called How Analytics Can Identify Student Mental Health Challenges. And it's also found up on the homepage under the newsfeed. Here are some highlights. She writes, the pandemic has been difficult for everyone, but it has, has had an especially significant impact on our youth who were already experiencing record high levels of poor mental health. The CDC reports more than one in three high school students had experienced persistent feelings of sadness or hopelessness in 2019, a 40% increase since 2009, and that's before we got into all this pandemic madness. So what can data do all about it? It comes down to pattern recognition, according to Amy. She goes on, if teachers and administrators are provided with an analytics dashboard where they can view student snapshots that include information about their grades, attendance, and activities, they can be more aware of each student and whether they are displaying any signs that might indicate they have poor mental health. For example, one teacher may notice that a student has been showing up to class in a bad mood, but this alone doesn't necessarily set off any alarms. However, if this teacher has this dashboard where they can record the information, it might reveal a pattern in the student's overall behavior. Once this is apparent, the school can intervene. Again, there's much more to this piece to read online. It's definitely worth it if this is something that is of concern to you as an educator. So that about wraps it up for this episode. Be sure to check back on eschoolnews.com for all the latest and greatest news and analysis for what's happening in the ed tech space. Oh, one more thing. eSchool News back to school webinars are in full swing. Join me on Thursday, September 15th, when I'll be hosting a live roundtable discussion about teacher shortages and solutions to address this immediate need. You can find details at eschoolnews.com forward slash webinars. Remember, eSchool News is always free and always helping innovative educators just like you. Until next time, I'm Kevin Hogan for eSchool News.